Hey everyone, welcome to the In Call Out Call podcast, a podcast that focuses on black men involved in sex work. Hosted by me, Dennis Hardy. Throughout the season, we'll be covering everything from struggles to experiences and everything in between. So I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the show, In Call Out Call. I'm your host, Dennis, and today I am here with my good friend who has saved my life many, many times, David Melbrand. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone you know, about who you are? Hey, everybody. Happy to be here and excited to be on this conversation with Dennis today. My name is David Malbrand. I am an internal medicine physician based in Atlanta, Georgia, and also an expert in sexual health and HIV and sexually transmitted infection or STI prevention, as well as treatment. Period. So Period. <laughs> I wanted you to come on the show today because I guess for me, you know, I tell everybody I have this ambition that I want to be a power bottom, right? And it's on my bio, on my Twitter. But then it's like in my head, that's an easy process. But there's really layers to like how to, I guess, bottom and how to just take care of yourself when you do that. Because like for me, maybe it's like a year, almost two years of like trying to do it consistently because I don't know, I'm going through like an early life crisis or whatever. But um, <laughs> there were so many questions I had and didn't have and didn't have a place to turn to to just learn about that. And then you, you hear so many things. So like, I have some friends who like douche every day. They're like, I'm just always ready. And then like, I have other friends who are like, No, you can't do that. You're gonna throw off your pH balance. So maybe let's start there. Um, <laughs> is there such a thing as douching too much? And how many times? Should, like, if you douche for like two hours, is that a problem? I think it's a great place to start. And I think, you know, when we look at ourselves as a culture, we're all about cleanliness. And when we talk about bottoming, you know, folks are always concerned. They don't want to give somebody the dirty deal. Or you talk about, you know, you know, somebody, oh, he painted my sheets or he painted whatever. (laughs) You know, folks don't want to, folks don't want to experience that stigma, right? And so- biggest fear. Yeah. So I think cleanliness, because once that reputation gets around and I've seen it happen, I've heard it both from patients that I've seen as well as my social circles that people have dogged folks that they've had experiences with. So a lot of times people are just concerned about that. So cleanliness is really, really important to the question of whether you can douche too much. I'll bring it back to women or someone who has a vagina. And what happens is that you can get a condition called bacterial vaginosis if you douche too much in the vagina. And the vagina has a very delicate pH balance or acid-base balance, as we would call it. And what happens is that when you keep flushing it out with a chemical or with a douche or with water or something like that, it changes the internal composition of all the good bacteria and other things that exist there. And then sometimes that can predispose to infections. And there's an infection called bacterial vaginosis or bacterial vaginitis that women can get. And so that's problematic. The ass is a different story because it's not set up like that with that kind of pH balance, but the same principle applies that if you are washing things out too much, you will have a delicate balance of you know, mucus, cells, hormones, all these kind of things are happening inside the ass. And if you're flushing it out a lot, you kind of disrupt that natural flow and the way the body naturally resets itself. And so I think for a lot of people that concern is there and the answer would be yes, 
you can kind of disrupt that. I don't know particularly if there's kind of a pH balance that one wants to achieve that's comparable to the vagina. But with the ash, there is such a thing as cleaning too much. And then also what people don't talk about is kind of this is this is a whole kind of balance on what people feel comfortable in, right? For some people, the stigma of having a dirty deal or painting somebody's sheets after you bottom outweighs the potential for risks of STIs or HIV. And we do know from a lot of research studies, medical research studies, that regardless of what kind of douche or enema or cleaning out practice you use, whether you use one of those little knobs or whether you use, people will attach kind of a nozzle to the, the shower head, something like that to clean folks out. When you're inserting that kind of flush into the anorectal area, you can actually irritate the inside of the mucosa or the cells that are there, and you can cause microbleeding. And so you won't see frank blood, you won't see reddish or maroonish blood come out, but there will be small tears or little abrasions in there from the trauma of kind of the constant flushing out that could predispose you to a higher risk of STIs or HIV transmission. So I think it's important for people to understand that balance and weighing the pros and cons and deciding what's the most important thing to them. And some people will look at it and be like, well, you know, I'll take the risk, the potential risk for this, as long as I don't cause somebody to have a dirty deal or as long as I don't embarrass myself because I'm worried about that stigma. But I think people need to understand that that risk is there. Thank you for that. I think it's so important that you talked about that stigma around, you know, painting, as the girls say, because nothing nothing is more frightening to me. You know how you talked about, like, what what matters to you the most? Like, nothing yeah. matters to me more than making sure I don't paint somebody. And, like, right. you know, knock on wood, I don't have any wood here, but knock on wood, I'm like, right. yet, <laughs> but, like, that fear animates most of what I do. So it's like, I, I feel like sometimes I, like, over-douche. It's like, okay, I'm good. And it's like, are you? Are you sure? Right. Right. It, it 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 depends, and that's very that's very real. And a lot of people say that there are a lot of people, and it's important too because as a medical provider and as people in public health, we often have our own priorities, which is like, oh my God, we got to prevent STIs and HIV. We want you to you know not get an STI or HIV. And people are always equating black gay men with STIs and HIV. So from a medical provider standpoint, they're always kind of focused. That's the main priority. Instead, we should kind of listen and just shut the hell up and say, okay, what is our patient's priority? Or what is this person that's sitting in front of me? What do they construe as the priority? And if their priority is, well, look, I'm on prep or I'm doing these other things to prevent STIs and HIV, but this cleanliness part is really, really important to me. We need to just listen to that. Mm. I love that you brought that up because I'm thinking I'm thinking about the fact that I recently did, you know, a talk around prep. And in my scenes that I do, you know, in the past, upcoming ones, they tend to be condomless. And so, you know, when you go to your medical provider and they're like, you know, are you a top, bottom, or whatever, and I'm like, you know, verse, the conversation changes because it's like, oh, if you bottom, you may come into contact with HIV more easily than somebody who tops. And I wonder how we have a conversation of specifically around people who bottom and who don't want to have condomless sex because, you know, as that as the interview comes out, people are like, you know, all the doctors are gonna come and, and attack you. I'm like, child, somebody's right. always trying to attack me. So right. <laughs> <laughs> doctors always be trying to attack somebody. And I mean the thing is is that it's with the best intentions, but it just it gets it just comes off as kind of judgmental and stigmatizing and pushes people away. So I think 
you know, what we're talking about, what you're describing, you know, pretty eloquently is harm reduction. So my job as a medical provider and all our jobs as medical providers should be with our training and expertise and what we bring to the table, what we know is to give you the most informed information that you can filter through all the Dr. Google bullshit that you come through, filter through all the chat rooms and the YouTube videos that you've watched that sometimes are based in fact and science, many of which are not. And you should feel comfortable coming to me and saying, hey, I saw this online or I read this or I saw this video. What's true about this? And I should be able to give you that information, confirm, deny, say, I don't know, and yet still affirm and encourage not only your sexual activity, but your sexual health and then say, well, how can I help you live your best sexual life and also help protect your sexual health? as best I can. So that's where I see my job is. And then it's harm reduction. Some people feel comfortable doing certain things. Other people don't. And so that's, that's kind of the art of medicine and where this comes in is it's not just a guideline and you just stamp it on everybody or try to fit somebody into a certain paradigm. What you say is, okay, well, what's your life like? What are your priorities? What are you worried about? What are you not so worried about? And then, okay, let's help figure this out and let's work together. That's the way I look. Yeah, and that's why I always feel comfortable coming to you over going to you know where I, when I go to get prep, you know my uh, my provider is there because there's been times where the conversation just really like shifted to like well if you're not going to do this we're not going to give you prep and I'm just like how can you say that <laughs> or I've I've been other places especially as somebody involved in sex work I've I've been places and they're like you come in here to get tested too much and you know you know what you should be doing and we're we're just not going to test you anymore and it's like what? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's ridiculous because that's kind of like a punishment reward system. Yeah. And it's also very patriarchal. We want you yeah. to do what we say to do. And the strangest thing is that there's a lot of women who are physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs who employ those same patriarchal approaches um, that the cis white heterosexual men will perform, not realizing how patriarchal they're being. Do as I say, not as I do. Do this or else. I won't give you this. And they hold it over your head. They hold HIV treatment medications. They hold PrEP. They hold treatment and testing for STIs over your head. And that's just not productive at all. And then people wonder why folks distrust medical systems and providers. And that's the exact reason. I did want to say uh, one thing, just going back to when we were talking about douching a little bit. There are differences in risk with certain types of douches or enemas or the way you clean yourself out. And most people that I know and most people that I've heard have employed just using water, straight up water. And what you'll find is if you look in the literature, if you look online at some of the the websites that have articles on it, some of the videos, you want to use something that's not really hot or cold, but kind of like a middle in between, like maybe a light warm type. If you have it too hot or too cold, particularly when it's too hot, you could really risk further irritating the inside of the mucosa. And then what people don't know is that just water by itself, you're thinking, oh, it's just plain water. How is that going to irritate the inside of me? Well, it does. And there have been studies where they take biopsies or pieces of the inside of the rectum and examine the cellular structure. And they found that when you use plain water, it actually irritates the inside of the rectal mucosa more than it does if you use something that's more glycerin-based, that is more like a, a, a kind of a gel or a protein, very similar to silicone. And so you find these things out as you're going along. And again, it's kind of one of those things where there's not an 100% guarantee. I'm not going to give people percentages of how much more risky using water as a douche or an enema is than using a glycerin product. But I will say that all of it carries some level 
of risk. So you have to be comfortable and just know what you're getting into with that and then do it accordingly. A lot of people will also talk about you don't need to actually spray or do like 10 to 12, you know, edemas or douches or fill the bulb up that many times to clean things out. Because sometimes you go so far up into the rectum and then into the sigmoid colon, which is on the left side of your abdomen. And then you inadvertently start to flush out some of the fecal matter that's up there. And then it would come down and then counterproductively, instead of actually cleaning yourself out, you actually will elicit some further stuff, further shit coming out of your ass that way. And so you don't want to do that. So a lot of people will encourage folks to say, hey, use a bulb or maybe do it twice, but just go in a little bit and just don't use a forceful push, but just slowly kind of get the water in there, maybe jump around or lay down or jump a few times up and down and see how that is. And just to kind of make sure it gets in there. Okay. And then flush that out because depending on the size of the dick that's going in you, a lot of people want to really clean themselves out to make sure and they want to go up as far as they can. But sometimes that can actually produce an unintended result, meaning you're more likely to have a dirty deal if that's the case. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, huh, the more you know, right? <laughs> because I just had this conversation with my friend and he was like, you douche for how long you plan on having sex? You know, if, if you if you know you're going to do like 15, 20 minutes, you can do it like three, four times and you're good. But if you know you're going to go right. like a marathon, he's right. like, you want to make sure you get all the way up in there. And so you right. want to make sure you're clean, clean. What's important with those instructions or that advice is that there's no science to it, right? It's just going to be anecdotal. So different people will do different things depending on the level of importance they put on, whether they're going to you know, paint the sheets, they're worried about painting the sheets or they're worried about something else or they're worried about the size of the dick that they're going to have in, or they're worried about how long it's going to be. I think the other part of this that we we haven't discussed yet, but is obviously important with this, is not only how you clean yourself out from the backside, but then also your diet and what you're eating. And I actually didn't get familiar with this till probably about five years ago. There was one person, and I'm a, I'm a versatile brother, so I'll go either way. And I remember going out to eat with this brother in Philly who was strictly more of a bottom. And we were eating, and I'll, I'll actually say it, I was eating, and he wasn't eating. And I was like, oh, you're not hungry? And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm just not going to eat. And I was like, I wasn't sure what he was doing. So I was like, well, that's odd. And later on, we had sex, but that was the reason. And somebody explained to me later on, like, when somebody does that and they're not eating, people will starve themselves for a day if they know they're going to bottom that night. Or people will eat certain foods to make sure that they don't, or they'll eat earlier in the day, make sure they flush themselves out later. So there's many different approaches that people use to kind of do that. I think it's important to note that, you know, none of this, I don't, I haven't seen any kind of randomized studies that have explored this. You know, one group does this approach and one group does another. And then the outcome is which group has a dirtier deal. Like, you're not going to have that kind of study going on. But I think people just negotiated according to their bodies. And there are some people that have more sensitive tracks and maybe more sensitive to food or may have more bowel movements more frequently during the day. And some people may only have a bowel movement once or twice a day or maybe once every other day. So it literally depends on what you know about your body and how that works and then kind of working together with a healthcare provider or someone else who's a specialist in sexual health to kind of discuss what your options may be, what may be the best options for you. Again, it should be centered around the individual, not a certain amount of guidelines, right? Mm. I, I used to have an ex-girlfriend and like there used to be days where I'm like, why, why is she not eating? <laughs> it was like, because later on we were going to do something and I've had somebody, you know, the holidays just passed. 
you know, Thanksgiving. And so the joke is always like, don't eat too much because you don't know what you're going to do. But one of the major questions I have is sometimes I see this debate around taking fiber pills versus getting your fiber from food. Which one is better for your diet if you plan on like bottoming? Because, you know, I try to do both. You know, make sure yeah. I have a fiber diet and take my fiber supplements. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say either or or both is is fine just as long as you're getting it in. And also drinking a lot of water. People don't understand that part of it is the more water you drink as it goes through your intestinal tract and your GI system from your stomach to your intestines and then it gets absorbed. So that's what happens is that the water that you drink gets absorbed in the stomach and in the intestines and then it actually gets routed to the kidneys and then you piss it out. But if you drink a good amount of water, a lot more of it will stay within your GI tract and therefore you won't be as constipated especially if you eat kind of heavier food. So one of the specific treatments that we advise to people who may experience constipation or slower or less regular bowel movements is to drink a lot of water, not just the fiber, whether it be in pills, your diet or both, but also drinking a lot of water because that will keep things kind of flowing a little bit more smoothly and more regularly. Mm. So I want to ask you about anal fissures because I, in my mind, I thought that was something that happened like you were just like getting pounded, really big dick, and you know, you probably used spit. Right. But apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I tweeted about it and nobody ever said something like on the thread, but they always come to my DM like, oh my God, that's awful. I had that, that hurt. My friend was like, oh my God, I have one right now. I'm in so much pain. And I'm just like- How does that happen and how do you prevent it? Yeah, so I think it's important to just talk about what an anal fissure is. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's just a a tear, a small tear. Imagine like a little abrasion or a small little cut, like almost like a paper cut, if I could create that analogy. It's either right at the anus, the anal orifice, what we would call the opening where your anus is, or it can be somewhere internal. And so it's a tear in the tissue and in the muscle back there. And the reason why it's so problematic is because one, it's a tear in the tissue and the muscle. So it's painful. Two, you're going to have bleeding in there. And so you may experience a lot of blood. And then three, because you have access to the bloodstream now, and because you're bleeding, any sexual activity you have back there, if you're able to tolerate the pain and there's an exchange of bodily fluids and someone comes inside you, there's going to be a higher risk of STIs or HIV if you are experiencing a fissure. So what the difference is, is that um, and a lot of people will talk about when you have blood coming out of your ass and say, well, you know, what does that mean? Is it a hemorrhoid? Or, you know, what is it? Is, is it an STI? What is it? Most commonly, it's going to be something like a hemorrhoid, which is just a blood vessel that can't get rid of the blood and can't send the blood back to the heart. So it just kind of sits there and sometimes they bleed. The main difference between a hemorrhoid and a fissure is that hemorrhoids can be painful, but fissures, because of the nature of them, because they are tears in the tissue and the muscle, are extremely painful. Yes. And so most of the stories that I've seen with this is that folks are scared to go to the bathroom because if they have a bowel movement, they try to take a shit and there's a fissure there, you can imagine when that stuff comes out, it's going to just irritate that tear. And there's actually a medical term for it. It's called tenesmus, where people describe, okay, I'm afraid to even go to the bathroom because it's going to hurt that bad and I'm going to have a lot more bleeding. The thing to note about that is that it can be caused by, you know, dehydration, constipation. Fissures aren't only caused by bottoming and getting pounded by a big dick. A lot of times if people are uptight, they have high blood pressure, 
They strain a lot when they're sitting on the toilet and trying to go to the bathroom. You can imagine that all those things can increase the pressure in and around the tissue around the anal and rectal area and cause a tear. So I've known several tops who have gotten anal fissures. And then people will look side eye at him in the community and be like, oh, yeah, he a top, right? Okay, yeah, you know you bought him in for somebody. That's not the case. So we need to kind of get off that stereotype or myth that the only people that get anal fissures or rectal fissures are going to be someone who bottoms and takes big dicks and gets pounded all day long. That doesn't help. And it's also just stigmatizing in that respect. What I tell people, and I remember when we had a conversation about it, I tell people all the time because people don't realize that they're a specialist of the ass and the anus and the rectum. People think, well, let me go to a gastrointestinal doctor. Let me go to a GI doctor and have them check it out. GI doctors are great for a lot of other stuff, particularly with the stomach. Uh, They can do colonoscopies where you have the camera kind of going through your rectum and going through the whole thing and taking a look and making sure you don't have a cancer. They're great with liver diseases as well, pancreas, gallbladder, all that stuff GI are great for. But if you have a fissure and you're having bleeding from the rectum, the best specialist to go to is a colon rectal specialist. And they are surgeons, so they can perform surgery if it is needed, but they're also specialists in just the ass, the anus, and the rectum. So they know what to do. And if you have those symptoms, that's the person you want to go to, because what they'll do is they'll put you on an examining table and you'll be kind of on your stomach or on all fours. And they'll do similar to what women have with a vagina when they have a pelvic exam and they'll have what's called a, a speculum that's put in and you look inside the vagina. And with other people, when you're looking in your ass, it's called an anoscope where they actually lube it up. And they put it inside your anus and they open it up a little bit. Not too, it's painful. It's kind of a gentle procedure. And then they take a look inside and they can see any cuts. They can see any hemorrhoids. They can see warts. They can see any pathology that's inside the anal rectal area. So that's the specialist you want to go to. And I did mention that they're surgeons, but also being surgeons, they could prescribe other treatment for you for a fissure. So for instance, given that it's a tear and given that it could have some bloodstream issues with it, You want to get more oxygen to that area. So things that open up the blood vessels, topical creams, there's nitroglycerin cream that they use back there sometimes. There's also what's called a calcium channel blocker, which opens up blood vessels and it helps you get more oxygen to that cut. Because when you think about when you have a cut and how it heals, you know, when sometimes you have a cut on your your hand or your arm and you'll put a Band-Aid on it initially to stop the bleeding, but then you want to expose it to air. That's because the oxygen gets in and that's how the healing happens. And so you want to use that same mentality when you're doing this. And then people also use Botox injections for fissures because what it does is it relaxes the muscle. And you remember what I said about the muscles being tense, the muscles being kind of taut. And if you're straining or if you're uptight or if you have high blood pressure and you're constantly kind of stressed back there and you carry a lot of your stress kind of in your ass and in your rectal area and you have a tear, putting the Botox in there has actually been shown to relax the muscle allow the blood flow to get in there, the oxygen to get in there, and then thereby the the wound itself will heal on its own. So you don't have to have surgery immediately for that. You can go to do other treatments. But again, if you go to a colorectal specialist, that's the person that'll help explain all those things to you, get a better look inside your ass, and then explain whether it's severe enough that you have to have surgery or whether it's something they can manage with either topical cream or ointment or something like Botox. 
Is this something, because I'm, I'm just thinking about the people who probably going to hear this first. Is this something that people who don't have insurance would have access to, especially here in Atlanta, since that's where we're based? And if they do have access to it, you know, what's a place that they can go to? Are you trying to say that Atlanta's the home of the bottoms? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm trying to say there's a lot of bottoms. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> if they need help, I want the girls to have their help. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, it depends. And, you know, just for here in Atlanta, and obviously there's going to be parallels in other cities, depending on where somebody lives. But if you don't have insurance, there are safety net hospitals, there are safety net clinics and safety net systems that you can utilize where you should be able to get health care, even if you don't have insurance at a, a, a much more inexpensive clip. And so, like, for instance, with Atlanta, you know, our main safety hospital is Grady Hospital. So if you get enrolled at Grady Hospital, you can probably see one of the primary care doctors over there, primary care medical providers over there, and then they give you a referral to the colorectal specialist. And that will be at a much reduced cost. So you won't have to pay as much up front. You won't have to pay as much for the copay uh, to go in to see the providers, and you won't have to pay as much for some of these procedures. But there are options if you don't have insurance. Obviously, if you have insurance, Piedmont Hospital has a good group called Piedmont Colorectal Associates. And then there's also Georgia Colorectal Associates of Atlanta. And they also have locations all throughout the metropolitan area. So you can see any of those people that can evaluate you. The one thing I tell people is that sometimes primary care physicians and primary care providers like nurse practitioners and PAs, we're good, but sometimes we have our own level of discomfort about these things. And then we also don't have, uh, some people don't have enough experience identifying a fissure or knowing what a fissure looks like. And they'll just say, oh, it's just a hemorrhoid, just do this or do that. Mm. And so you have to be careful with that. Oh, one of the other things I, it just crossed my mind now, I forgot to mention, whether it's hemorrhoids or whether it's fissures, one of the things that people can do that's extremely helpful at home to help things out is what's called a sits bath. And all a sits bath is, is that you're going to be sitting the part of your ass that's around with the anus and the rectum, particularly the anus, in some warm water and soapy water. And some people will put witch hazel in it and do some other things, but that's a little more extra. What you can probably just do is warm soapy water. And if it's in a bathtub, just fill it up about two inches or so, and then sit down for about 10 to 15 minutes in that. What that does is the warm water relaxes the muscle and it also opens up the blood vessels. And again, what we were talking about earlier is that you want the blood and the oxygen to get to that wound if it's a fissure or if it's a hemorrhoid and the blood is just blocked, it helps to open up the blood vessels so the blood can return to the heart. And I will tell people, if you don't have a tub, you can go to any Target, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS and pick up a sits bath, which is a little, it's a basin that you put on the toilet and you can fill it up with warm water and then you sit on the toilet. It's the same physiology. It's the same principle. You sit in it, just make sure it gets the tip of your ass around your anal area and basically, it just warms that area, relaxes the muscle again, opens up the blood vessels, and may help with the healing process if you can't get to see a doctor or a medical provider quickly. Hmm. Well, I guess we can't end this conversation without talking about lubes. Because when I talk right. about fissures, everybody's, <laughs> a few people's response was like, oh my God, yeah, use lube. And in between switching positions, make sure they spit in it. And I was like, I don't think that's how it goes, girl. Yeah, that's not scientific. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think the best lubes are, you know, obviously 
you know, given what we've known with HIV and, you know, for the past 40 years, we've talked about, you know, not using a petroleum or Vaseline-based lube with the thought of if you use a condom, it can erode the condom or make the condom break quicker. Spit, obviously, is not going to be a sustainable lubricant, no matter what anybody says. But in a pinch, people use it if they don't have any lube. So that's what it is. I'm not here to judge any of that. But it's not really going to be helpful for preventing, you know, fissures if you're worried about that. Water-based lubrications tend to dry up quickly. So those I don't think are the best ones. For me, the best ones that I've seen are the silicone-based lubes. They stay lubricated, they're smoother, they don't dry out, and they're not as toxic or as sticky as a petroleum or Vaseline-based lubricant and won't break the condom. Or if you're not using a condom, they won't compromise the integrity of the inside as much because they're smoother. Do you have a favorite brand? Um, there's no favorite brand that I go to, but you can go to any store, any sex store, or just a, a pharmacy somewhere. Like I said, the CVS or Walgreens or Walmart or Target, and they should have that in the lubrication section and you should be able to find, but you have to read very carefully on the packages because the silicone based ones, one, they're more expensive and two, they're not as common. So again, you're going to have to pay for the benefit of it, or you may not be able to find it. You may have to go to a few shops before you can actually find it. But obviously you can get it on Amazon or other online agencies. All you have to do is Google silicone-based lubricant and you'll be able to find it. And I'm not sure whether some of the other ones that some of the gay websites or or gay-focused businesses use, like the gun oil, or there's other kinds of, you know, they use different names for them, but some of those have silicone as well. So it's just a matter of searching it out and ordering it and finding the cheapest price you can. I had to ask about that because <laughs> secretly I was the girl who was like spitting it. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Which loops to get? Um, right. Oh. I don't understand how spitting will actually, I think spitting will actually, you know, either dilute the, the silicone lubricant or compromise it so it doesn't work as good as it did before. And obviously spit just by itself will dry out. So if you're concerned about any trauma, potential fissures, other kinds of irritation that you may get, Spitting is not going to be the best option for you in any circumstance. It just made me feel cute. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you could say, you know, cocoa butter and shea butter, because they have vitamin E properties as well. People have used them for those purposes as well. But again, cocoa butter and shea butter have a thicker consistency, very similar to petroleum jelly or Vaseline. And so if you're using condoms and you're worried about the condom breaking, that may be an issue. If you're not, and you're not using condoms, it may be a viable alternative because that kind of stuff, the the shea butter and the, the cocoa butter won't dry up as fast either. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about poppers? Are poppers okay to use? Because you know, you go to Canada, you can't get those. So I'm like, am I? <laughs> <laughs> are, are they okay to use with regards to what? Like when you're about to get plunged? Like, well, or, or uh, is there like a, is there any side effects to poppers? Yeah. I mean, well, poppers, obviously, and poppers, uh, people just need to realize it's amyl nitrate, right? So it's a nitroglycerin-based thing that you're just inhaling through the nose. You're sniffing through the nose. And what it does is it causes all your blood vessels to open. And so for tops, tops will like it because it'll help increase the blood flow to their dick so their dick will stay harder or get more hard and it'll intensify the, the pleasure. For bottoms, they use poppers for basically relaxing the muscle. And then also it, it gives folks a kind of a temporary high. And that's also because when all your blood vessels open, your blood pressure drops a little bit. It may drop a little bit. And so you feel this kind of temporary like lightheadedness that may be construed as a high. And then it helps people get through the process of getting plowed, so to speak, a little bit easier with that. So I think the one 
caution that I, I, I give with poppers. And one, you know, the blood vessels will open so it can relax the muscles in the ass so you can take dick better. But then also it'll increase the blood flow to those areas so that potentially you could heal better. The one thing that I worry about with poppers is that if people have underlying medical conditions and if they're on medications that lower their blood pressure already and then they inhale some poppers on top of it, they can have some serious kind of heart complications with that. And that's why they they give those warnings with people who use like Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, all the erectile dysfunction medications, because they work essentially the same way. They open up the blood vessels more so that the dick can get harder. And with poppers, you have kind of the same thing, but with the amyl nitrate. And so it opens up things more. But if you if you drop your blood pressure too low, that can be dangerous where you could pass out or even have a cardiac arrest. So people want to be careful with that when they're when they're using them. Hmm. Well, that was so interesting. I, I, I did not know what poppers did. I was just like, recently a friend was like, gave me a, I have a one friend who like lives by them. And he like, he'll, he'll buy like three at a time. And he's like about to jerk off. I'm about to get my poppers and jerk off. I'm about to, anything he's about to do, like sexually, he's yeah. like, I'm about to go get my poppers. And I'm like, girl, you just, like, yeah, like you they have a lot of, they have a lot of practical uses. And like I said, whether you're top, bottom, versatile, People will use them to enhance the sexual experience, and that's what they do. There have been, I mean, obviously, that you know, people have studied that, and there have been studies that show that people who engage and you know use poppers may be more at risk for HIV and other STIs. That may be in combination with you know number of sexual partners, venues, or where they meet people, where they have sex, and who they're having sex with. So I, I don't know whether it's necessarily causal that poppers cause an increased risk of HIV. It may be associated with a, a whole bunch of different things that kind of modify that relationship, but they, they have noted an association with it, that people who use poppers are at higher risk for HIV transmission. So you want to be careful with that. But I think a lot of people also too get accustomed to it. And so it becomes a point where you can't get hard by yourself anymore, or you can't enjoy the bottoming experience anymore alone. So instead of using the poppers to enhance your sexual experience, you're actually taking poppers to make sure you can still perform. And there's a difference between those two things. So, but like you said, some people live by them. And if they help enhance your sexual life and your sexual pleasure and your sexual health, then I'm all for it. And we'll make sure we get you checked out, make sure we take care of everything else and try to prevent or treat any other complications that may arise. But I want people to live, like I said before, their best sexual lives. And my job is, as the clinician is to help you navigate through the minefield of what can happen sexually while still enjoying your sexual lives. I want to let you go, but I have one question, real practical question. I'm not sure if anybody's ever asked you this. So if you're like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Don't ask me that. And we'll cut out the show. Is cocaine shits a real thing? And <laughs> if they are, can they be prevented with like douching beforehand? You said cocaine shits? Yeah. You know, like when you do coke. And then, like, people are like, oh, you know, you do coke, but then, like, if you didn't douche, like, you going to the shit the whole time. Like, is that a real thing? And do you just douche beforehand? Or is that not, not, not like, really a thing? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know the answer to that question because that's the first, that's the, you're the, you're the first person that said cocaine shits. And I've heard that before. I've heard of, like, crystal dick with crystal meth. Mm -hmm. And again, when you look at stimulants like that, right? Think of it this way. Any stimulant like cocaine or methamphetamine, whether it be meth or cocaine, those actually work to constrict the blood vessels. So as opposed to nitrates or poppers, 
which open up the blood vessels. Cocaine will actually constrict them or clamp them off. And so will meth. And so that's where a lot of the complications come within, whether it be cocaine with heart attacks or other kinds of things that can happen when people use cocaine frequently, or with meth when, you know, the blood flow to certain areas and even kind of the amount of salivary glands and the amount of lubrication you have in your mouth can cause your teeth to really dry out and become eroded. There are complications with that. So I haven't heard about cocaine shits before, and I'm trying to figure out what the physiology would be if your blood vessels are clamping down how that would cause you to have, is it like a diarrhea or is it just you have to go to the bathroom more? That's not something I ever experienced. Right. Me and my cocaine get along very well, but <laughs> for other people, <laughs> for other people, they're like, oh, you know, or like I've been around people and they're like, oh, well, you know, I have to, um, I have to, I, like, you know, you, like I, I just been experiences where it's like, you know, you're having a good time. People have to keep getting up to go to the bathroom to check because it's like, everybody knows you're going to get cocaine shits. And so- I'm like, is that a real thing? Is that fine? I know, like, the restricting the blood vessels makes sense because, like, why can't you get hard because it's restricting the blood? And I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, that- and that's with that's with meth or cocaine. People will have after a long period of time, people will have problems with erections, and that's on top. Like, think about it this way: if you also have high blood pressure, diabetes, those kind of things cause problems with your blood flow as well. And so, if you're using cocaine or using meth on top of that, which kind of closes up the blood vessels or clamps down on them, you're not going to get the blood flow to your dick as well. You're not going to get the blood flow to your ass as well or relax the muscles as well. And that's why people will use both sometimes and kind of go from there. So people will sometimes use cocaine or use meth and then also be using poppers at the same time, but they kind of counterbalance each other out. But I'm not, I'm not sure about the cocaine shits. I've learned something new today, so I'm going to have to look that up and, and see if there's <laughs> something to that and see exactly what the physiology is behind it. I'm trying to figure out whether just because the it may be because the blood vessels are clamped down, you don't get enough blood flow to the muscles and to the movements in the muscles and around the intestines. So the intestines, I don't, I'm not sure whether they may slow down or something else may happen with it, but it seems kind of interesting. So I'd have to look that up. So long story short, I don't know the answer to that question, or I can't speak authoritatively on it as I can about some of these other things we've discussed today. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, because I know somebody, you know, I'm used to getting attacked. Somebody's going to say like, oh, why am I promoting drug usage? I'm not, but people yeah. use drugs. And right. people have questions. And instead of just asking, you know, the people next to you who probably know, you know, some people may know a lot, but <laughs> most of the people are just going to know, you know, probably the same amount as you do. And people should know about what they're doing and why it's affecting them and all that stuff. This show's going to need a disclaimer. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's better to just be real about it, and that's kind of what harm reduction is all about, right. too. A lot of people won't admit that they're using drugs or they're having sex without condoms or the number of partners they have because they're afraid of being stigmatized, and so they'll just avoid things altogether. Harm reduction adopts a model where you say, well, okay, we're acknowledging that this stuff happens, and so what can we do to kind of help protect you in the face of this? If you're figuring out at some point later on you want to stop altogether or not, my job is to help you out at this moment and to work with you with where you're at right now. And so if you tell me you're still using drugs, you're still using substances, my job is not to say, well, I'm not going to provide treatment or give you any advice until you stop using drugs. Like, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say is, okay, that's where you're at right now. So how can I help you live your best life? And how can I help you achieve the health you want to achieve? And that's my job. I'm not Judge Judy, Judge Mathis, or any of these other judges. My job is to, to help you out where you're at right now. And then it's fluid. You may stop 
at some point later on, you may use more. My job is to adapt to that fluidity in your journey and provide the best advice I can at that time. Yeah. And, and the stigma part is so real because, you know, when I go to a doctor, I just like telling people my business regardless. I don't know why. I need a therapist. But no, that's actually a good thing. People who don't do that may perhaps need a therapist. And that stigma on therapy. Why would you need a therapist simply because you're being upfront and honest with folks? That's and ain't you from New York too? That's a New Yorker thing. So (laughs) Right. So I mean bluntness and being honest and open and upfront is very much a Northeast and particularly a New York thing. And as a fellow New Yorker, I understand that and I appreciate that, but not everybody does. You don't need a therapist because that. I think we need to encourage more people to be upfront, especially about their sexual health with their medical providers and their, their drug use and substance use and their coping mechanisms that they have. But anyway, back to, you know, you mentioned the drug use to the providers and how do they react? Oh, no, I, I was just saying that was a really good point. But I'm thinking about all my friends and, you know, the experiences I've had going to, you know, health providers and, you know, I, I'm able to navigate it, you know. However, but then I asked my friends, I'm like, you know, do you tell, do you tell your doctor that, you know, you do sex work? And they're like, no. I'm like, why? You know, just like, it's just none of their business. And I'm like, I feel like, I feel like it is. But then I just have to remember that, you know, that stigma is very real. And I think about the experiences I had. And when that nurse said to me one time, you come in here and say you've been exposed, but your tests always come back negative. We're not going to test you anymore. And, you know, she said loud in the lobby people heard i'm thinking like for somebody else like that would be it like i'm not going to get, get tested. even for myself i had to like you know if i i try to get tested monthly and i'm like dag like do i want to go through this experience again and, and that could be a yeah. lot so that's the that's the wrong response to me because you know we're trying to encourage people to you know affirm and take control of their sexual health and then when you go ahead and do that and especially if you say well look I engage in sex work, so I I need to check up on myself. I'm making sure I'm okay. What kind of sense does it make to discourage that? It doesn't make any sense at all. Like nobody wins in that case. Nobody wins in that case. So, you know, but again, the, the medical profession can tend to be a very conservative, judgy and preachy and stigmatizing profession. And so, you know, your narrative about that, your testimony about that is 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 more of the uh the rule rather than the exception. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. (laughs) It was an honor. It was a really good conversation. I enjoy having these conversations because they're very real. And we get to talk about medical stuff. And we also get to talk about social stuff and the interaction between the two. And I think we need to stop ignoring that those two don't interact. They particularly do. And and especially when it comes to talking about sexual health and substance abuse and, um, you know, medical issues that may arise because of that. I think it's important to have these frank and honest conversations. So thank you for being the wonderful person that Dennis Hardy is and having such a an open and frank conversation. Well, period. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, like I, I've just never, I've never come across a, a anybody in, in the in the health, in the, in the field of like medicine who I was able to talk to. And, you know, to this day, it's just like, I have a problem, you know, because I'm, I'm probably about to die every week. So like every week I'm like, I need to speak to David. Right. (laughs) But we're out out there. Like people think I'm some kind of anomaly, but there are a lot of providers that, you know, are sex positive like me. And, you know, it's just that we're fewer and farther between, but we are definitely out there. We are definitely out there. Well, y'all are gems and I appreciate you. Thank you so, so much. And we are out.